0: Hello everybody, this is Rafal Davidovich. Welcome to the weekly Navi Shir. This is the class in which I give a summary with a little bit of insight on a chapter of Nach. We are now up to Sefer Shoftim Periches, which in English means the Book of Judges, chapter 8, which is an extremely important chapter in that it sets up the, it sets the stage for a number of major themes of the book of Judges, and really a major theme of the whole Bible, frankly. Let's jump right into it. We are still in the middle of the story of Gideon. Gideon Gideon has taken charge and has uh, started a strong victory against the invading Midianite and Amalek forces. However, we now reach our first problem. He has killed two of the five kings of the confederation of Midian, but the war is not over. And since the war is not over, there's still a lot of of work to be done. One of the challenges he has is that the tribe of Ephraim is upset that they went about, meaning that Gidon and his tribe of Manasseh went about fighting this war without the consent and cooperation of Ephraim. You might wonder why is Ephraim's cooperation necessary? Because, as you might remember from the Torah, Ephraim and Manasseh are brothers. They're both sons of Yosef, and according to the blessing given by Yaakov to the brothers, Ephraim would be the pre uh, would be the more prominent. Um, half-tribe, in the leadership role in any decisions between Ephraim and Menashe. So for Menashe to act independently in that political sense of war, without Ephraim's consent and permission, it was seen by Ephraim as being an act of treason. But Giddon hand- handles that masterfully, and he grants Ephraim the, uh, the right and he does not step on their toes. And he says the right words. And he says, look, we and Manasseh were nothing compared to Ephraim. And he, managed, he manages to calm Ephraim down. Which will be contrasted with a later judge who totally messes that up and fails at that message entirely. The next thing that Giddon does, which is extremely important for the rest of the book, is that he then, as he is traveling across the Jordan to go and catch... The Midianite kings, he asks the people in the towns of Sukkos and Pnu'el, which should sound familiar, as these were towns, areas that Yaakov Avinu, our forefather Jacob, traveled as he was going back to the Holy Land after his 20-year stay with Lavan. He asked these towns for uh, support, for food, basically taxing them, asking them for money, to help fight the war, and to say, you know what, you haven't defeated them yet, we don't owe you anything. And Gidon says, well, if Hashem hands them over to me, I come back here, you will be in big trouble. He captures the two other Midianite kings, and then goes back with them to these towns of Sukkos and Pnuel, and punishes the people in those two cities, then kills those other two kings. The reason this is so important, even though this might just sound like something that's violent, is that Giddon is establishing that he is a real government over here. This is not a joke. This is the draft. This is taxation. And in this way, you should understand that Giddon is coming as a strong contrast to Devora. You see, when people didn't help Devora, and when she was fighting the war against Sisera, all she could do was sing about it, and complain how other tribes did not come to her aid. But over here, Giddon is saying, I am a real government. And as a real government, I have the right to punish citizens, subjects, who do not join the war effort. That's why this is so important. And this is why this leads, in the concluding part of the chapter, to the people of Israel coming to Giddon and telling him, Listen, we want you to rule over us. Which means that they were asking him to set up a kingdom. And he refuses. However, even though he refuses, he does something which I consider to be fascinating, which is that he creates a form of a a shrine in the collection of taxes to create an aphode. An ephod was a religious jewel or garment of some kind. And what Giddon intended to do was that this item, while there would be no central government, he is the closest the Jews have come since the days of Yehoshua, since the days of Joshua, to being an actual king and national ruler. So he creates this shrine, in effect. And this is the way that he defeated Midian. Unfortunately... This did not last, and we see towards the end of the chapter that even though Gideon refused to be king, we discover that really he did act as king. He might have refused the title, but the fact is that the way he went about taxing the people, for example, collecting tribute, punishing people who disobeyed, and then we discover having many wives, which is something that really only a king would do, even though the Torah allows polygamy, the grand kind of polygamy that Gid'on engaged in was only the kind of polygamy that was reserved for kings. So much so that he had 70 sons as a result, including his son Avimelech, who will be nothing but trouble in chapter 9. So here we conclude chapter 8 by hearing about how Gid'on came so close to being the first proto-king since Yehoshua, but his gains ended up not lasting, because the jewel that he created to honor Hashem ended up being used as a form of uh, idolatry. And even, as soon as Giddon died, the people lapsed back into the adultery that, had pre, that predated him as well. The story does not end there. We will continue the rather tragic ending to the story of Giddon in our summary of chapter 9.